You're listening to Lead to Soar, bringing women the best career advice and mentorship from around the world. Lead to Soar is a production of A Career That Soars. Learn more at leadtosoar.com. Hello, leaders, and welcome to another episode of the Lead to Soar podcast. Returning listeners, thank you so much for joining us here again today. And for new listeners, welcome. We're so glad you found us. Today's episode is an interview. And if you've been with us for a little while, you'll know that we've been switching things up in season three. So we've got a mixed bag of episodes where Michelle and I are talking about specific things to give tactical advice to you. There's episodes where we are interviewing people like today. And then there's some mini episodes that are meant to give quick, snappy advice that you can apply immediately in your day-to-day work. So today's episode is an interview with Miss Sheila Flavel. So let me just read to you an excerpt from Sheila's bio. Sheila has over 30 years of experience in the global tech sector. She played an integral role in FDM's flotation on AIM in 2005 and was a key instigator of the management buyout of the group in 2010. And the subsequent listing onto the main FTSE market in 2014. Sheila's knowledge of the sector has been crucial in driving FDM's global expansion program, taking them into the FTSE 250. She spearheads the Global Women in Tech campaign and created FDM's hugely successful Returners program. Sheila is Deputy President of Tech UK and chairs the Institute of Coding's Industry Advisory Board. One of her proudest moments in business was when FDM achieved a zero-gender pay gap. She has won numerous awards during her career for services to the tech industry and was recognized in the 2020 New Year's Honors List with Commander of the Order of the British Empire for her services to gender equality in IT and the employment of graduates and returners. She is also listed in Computer Weekly's Most Influential Women in UK Tech Hall of Fame. Now, this isn't everything. There's more. It goes on. And I just have to say that this was a wonderful interview for me to get to listen to and produce. And I know that you're going to enjoy it a lot. Without further ado, here is Michelle Redfern interviewing Sheila Flavel. Hi again, listeners of the Lead to Soar podcast. This is Michelle with you again, talking to another terrific, fabulous uh, and accomplished woman who is, well, she's a C-suite. You already know who I'm talking to. I'm talking to the, the wonderful Sheila Flavel, CBE. And uh, so Sheila's in the UK as we speak, and I'm on the West Coast of Australia. Sheila, you are amongst uh, many other things, the COO of, of FDM Group. You've had 30 years experience in the global tech sector. Uh, You're a business leader who is renowned for, and this is how we connected, uh, for having a passion for enhancing diversity in the workplace and creating exciting careers for the next generation of digital talent. I've been fortunate enough to spend time with you. It seems like a lifetime to go that we're in Shepherd's Bush in London having a a few cheeky rosés. 
And I've also been fortunate enough to to collaborate with your team, your FDM team here in Australia. I just want to quote you one of my your your quotes, one of my favourite quotes of yours, which is, "There's never been a better time to enter a career in technology as there is today, because the opportunities for women are endless, and you can really fast track much much quicker than you ever could in my day." I think that being a woman is an advantage in today's tech world. With that, a very warm welcome to you, Sheila. Thank you very much, Michelle. So welcome to the the podcast, the Lead to Soar podcast, Sheila. And I always like to let our our guests on, on Lead to Soar kick off with their own explanation of who they are and what they do. So let's imagine that we're at some lovely networking event and some and a person walked up to you and said, Well, I can see your name badge, Sheila, but what is it that you do and, and what is FDM Group? What do you say to them? I say, well, my name is Sheila Flavin and I'm FDM's Chief Operating Officer. And what we do at FDM, we recruit, we train and we deploy people from all walks of life and we kickstart their careers in IT. We couldn't care less where you've come from or we're interested in is what you want to achieve. I love that. And people from all walks of life and you are that you are a renowned champion of equality uh, and inclusion but I think what's interesting for me because of course I've been doing lots and lots of stalking of you and finding all sorts of little tidbits out and we did say off air that you've had a a non-linear career uh, which so many of us have had but so I, I want you to cast your mind back over your thoroughly interesting career And I want you to cast your mind back to the City of Glasgow Police Force, where (laughs) you were WPC 247. So can you tell our listeners about that? Oh, yes, I was. I was at uh, the age of 19. I was WPC 247, City of Glasgow Police. And that was before uh, the Equalities Act came in. And so we were paid less than the men. When the Equalities Act came in, we were thrown out into the streets because the men wanted to prove a point that we weren't as good as them, we weren't uh, as strong and as capable as the men. And they said, it'll never last, we'll go back to the way it was. And of course, you know, Michelle, in life, we never go back, we always go forward. So I was given the patrol, Uh, you've heard this story before, Michelle, but um, I was given the patrol, which had the city mortuary in it. And Jimmy, the mortuary attendant, he's since murdered his wife, a story for another day, uh, on the night shift, I would go down because the streets of Glasgow, were, they were quite rough in those days. I'd go down and I'd have a cup of tea with Jimmy and he would unlock the door uh, with his brown coat on. He'd rub his hands together and he'd say, come in, come in and have a, a coffee. And while he was putting the kettle on, he'd say, let's play a wee game. I said, what kind of game are we going to play today, Jimmy? Spot the organ. Now, I know what you're thinking, but it's not. So what we did was Jimmy would take me into the room where a post-mortem had taken place earlier uh, that day and he'd pour the organs onto a a steel table with holes in it and I had to guess what they were. And um, if I got any wrong, (laughs) he would be delighted. If I got them all correct, I never did get my cup of coffee. And I thought, my God, what am I doing? At the age of 19 years of age, 19 years, playing spot the organ with Jimmy in the middle of the night in Glasgow. <laughs> well, I tell you what, that is a, not only is it a funny story, but it's a very, well, it's obviously was a character building experience for you, as, as we call them. <laughs> so 
And, and it is interesting that when I agree with you, we don't go back. We sometimes, particularly the work that you do, the work that I do, I'm around helping people from all walks of life and in particular women you know, advance and reach you know, their full potential in organisations, it can sometimes feel like, gracious me, are we ever going to get there? But when you do stop and look, you think, yeah, things have, they have moved on. You know, they've certainly moved on since those days when you were a WPC. But then let's, let's go forward because the next move was, well, you went from the police force well, in well, not quite into the air force, but into the airline industry. So, let's. What about Gulf Air? What did you do there? Gulf Air, yeah. So, after four years of pounding the beat in Glasgow in the pouring wet rain, trying to keep myself safe, I thought there's got to be more to life than this. I could see my whole life mapped out in front of me in this square couple of miles that was Glasgow city centre. So, I off I went to the Middle East as a a young woman in my early 20s to join Gulf Air as a junior stewardess. And that was great fun. I intended to stay two years, but I was having so much fun. I actually stayed 12, Michelle. And um, if I thought that there was there was inequality in the police force, it was nothing to what I experienced back then in the Middle East. And of course, it's only recently that women have been able to, uh, to drive in Saudi Arabia. And, um, but, you know, I, I kept my head down. I worked very hard. And uh, I think after about five years, I was promoted and I, I, I was promoted several times to ultimately be the most senior woman in the airline on the cabin crew side, managing uh, personally 600 people, but collectively with four others, uh, 2000 people, which was the whole of the, the cabin crew that Gulf Air had at that time. When I joined the airline, we only had 200 cabin crew and it grew to uh, 2,000. And that was a, a huge learning experience for a young woman uh, from the village in Scotland who'd never had any leadership training in my life. And uh, in fact, I think I went on one course while I was with Gulf Air. So I had just had to, to learn from what I could see and what, what I could hear. And of course, we didn't have the internet then, so we didn't have that resource to tap into. But it was great fun. In fact, mm. you weren't allowed to be married. Yeah. In um, Fair, ah. I was the. I had to get special permission to get married because some of my friends who got married got the sack on their wedding day, and no one had ever Goodness. had a baby. So when I got pregnant, I thought they're going to sack me. So I actually kept my pregnancy hidden for six months, <laughs> and mm. then uh, when which I just is, got, which is no mean feat for any for any of us who have ever been pregnant. You know, that's uh, that that is no mean feat. Yeah. But no woman should have to hide her pregnancy for six months. In fact, yeah. we didn't have maternity leave either. And uh, so I had to take annual leave and go back to work six weeks after my baby was born. And that was really tough. Mm. And that, that's a great example of, of how far we've come. No, things are still not ideal, particularly you know, we're actually in, in Australia today as we record this episode, the the latest budget has been handed down, which is which I'm I'm having my usual fury about because I don't think it's uh, really addressed the systemic issues that hold women back. But for so many women, child well for so for society, child rearing is still seen as the woman's job, not the family's job. And of course, and I acknowledge that families come in all different shapes and sizes. So, so we have we have moved on a, a little bit since then. And look, and you've had a great hand in that as well, because the next stage in your career, once you've moved on from Gulf Air, was to join 
FDM, wasn't it? And how did that come about? Well, I just returned from 12 years in the Middle East. I had a two-year-old and I was pregnant with my second baby. And I spent a few months getting myself, getting my act together, having the baby. And then I met uh, Rod Flavel. He'd um, just set up this attic startup, FD, F, well, it was FDI, it later changed to FDM. And he asked me to join him. And we always say, Michelle, that by me joining the business, as a startup, we created a 50-50 gender split in our senior management team. <laughs> the fact that yes, there were only yes. four of us at the time, I don't, I, I kind of leave that bit out of the story. That's but, fine. Um, the number is the number. <laughs> <laughs> I had never even sent an email at, up till that point. Remember, my background was policing and uh, working for an airline. So entering the world of tech was, was no mean feat. Again, you know, with two babies um, and having to juggle that in a, in, at a time when, you know, we, if I had been looking for a proper job, if you like, um, I probably would have found it really difficult because I was a mum of two children. Uh, but Rod, um, he was very visionary. He um, invited me to join him and the rest is history, as they say, 30 years later, uh, we are a FTSE mm. 250 company with a, uh, well, it would be 2 billion Australian dollars market cap. And uh, we're, we're doing, you know, quite nicely. It is remarkable. And to, to hear from WPC to the airline industry and having such a big leadership role in an environment that was... Well, we're frankly, in the Middle East, you were other. You were other for so many reasons. Culturally, you were other. From a gender perspective, you were other. And then, of course, you were married. That made you other. And you were a mum, and that made you other. So you've got, you have a lot of experience about what it's like to be the other or the only one or the trailblazer. And I know, you know, you're pro- some people aren't comfortable with being called trail- trailblazers, but but you are. So from from your own leadership perspective because you said you know no internet there's one training course how did you develop that ability to well frankly run a business with a two billion dollar market cap how 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 did it occur you know I think if I think about myself I don't really take no I like to push boundaries and I like to challenge I like to challenge myself and perhaps um before I share with you you know how I got to perhaps where I am in FDM, where the business has got to where it is. Maybe I can tell you, Michelle, this month I'm 65 years of age. And if I... (laughs) Congratulations. No, but that's... What I want to tell you is that I've learned to fly a helicopter in the last 18 months, and I'm desperate to pass my test before my my 65th birthday. And what happened was one day I was out cycling, and I cycled past Shoreham Airport, and I just happened to look to the left, and I saw this sign that said advanced helicopter. So I, some, something made me park my bike. I walked in and I said to the fellow behind the desk, I said, excuse me, do you treat, train people to fly helicopters? He said, yeah, that's our business. That's what we do. And I said, is there any age restriction? He said, no. I said, I'll see you tomorrow at nine o'clock. And that was 18 months later. And I've got about 120 hours of flying behind me. And just one more test to pass and then that's it. I'm off the flying granny. Well, <laughs> you have got you have got myself and all of our lead to saw listeners and a career that saw <laughs> members behind you, Sheila, because that is 
That is awesome. And I, I get the sense that that is the sort of thing that's characterized your career. And it's interesting. I was talking to another C-suite woman this morning from America. And she said, you know, Michelle, I haven't had the traditional road to, to the top, so to speak. Or, and I didn't start out this way. And I said, and she said, and like you, she said, it's not traditional. I said, but what is traditional? I think career paths and the portfolio careers that we have, they're, they're all our own and we can do things in, in very different ways. There's really no one way to achieve your potential, but, but there are characteristics, don't you think? I do. And, you know, when I started out, Michelle, I was never identified by anyone. You know, when I'm talking about when I started out at FDM here, I was never identified by anyone. I, I identified myself and I think I've always identified myself. Um, and I remember a meeting many, many years ago when FDM was in its in infancy and the meeting organiser said, let's talk about strategy. And I thought, what is this strategy he, he keeps ranting on about? And I didn't have a clue about what, what he was talking about. And I wasn't familiar with the term strategy either. So I thought I better do something about this. So what I did was I enrolled in an MBA program. So I learned about strategy and planning and accountancy and about all the various categories of business. Now I have to say that it was all very surface, interesting, but surface. We didn't delve deep into anything. So now at that, well, after that, I understood the terminology, but it, that's not what made me a good or a successful business person or helped FTM to greater success. What it did was it gave me confidence to sit in a room and talk about it. I had the badge. And, you know, sometimes we need badges in life. I couldn't agree more. Could not agree more. And Sheila, I, I'm just nodding away madly, which our, our listeners won't see. But, <laughs> you know, my own there was a monkey on my back for a long, long time. And I got that monkey off my back, that confidence monkey, which, you know, there would be people who'd look at you know, women like you and, and me and say, confidence, you're not lacking in any confidence, but we have these things going on. And I agree. I got the badge as well. My MBA was a ticket to, to myself, really. It got me out of my own way. Exactly. You know, and, and, and it's great. You know, I think education, it's, it's, we're all about lifelong learning these days. And, you know, I think the more we learn, the more confident we become and the more interesting we become to both ourselves and others as well. Now, I, as you know, I didn't join a large corporate corporate that sent me on any leadership training courses. In fact, my previous roles never sent me on any leadership courses and there was no C-suite to aspire to. We were entrepreneurs. We didn't recognise that in ourselves at the time, but I suppose we were. We had what we had was we had lots of energy. We had commitment. We had drive. We had a real desire to succeed and we were broke, <laughs> Rod and I, we, you know, <laughs> needs must, devil drives. We had kids and we had mortgages and failure was not an option. And by God, we got close to failure on a few occasions, let me tell you. But we learned those lessons very early on and that helped us frame our, our business personalities from that day to this really we're very cautious and in fact Michelle if I told you the, our cautious approach has served as well during the pandemic when lockdown hit in March 2020 we had 700 people who were sent back to us from our clients now those were 700 people that were re revenue generative individuals and they were sent back to us and they were our employees we had a responsibility to pay them and we thought, what on earth are we going to do with them? So we cancelled our dividend. Our shareholders were fine with that. 
and we continue to pay them. We also paid individuals who were in the early start of their training so that no one had to worry about where they could meet and how they could meet their payments. We had, um, I think it was 56 million uh, pounds, so that's double that for Australian dollars, as a cash reserve, which helped us through. Now, after two months, business picked up again, our clients settled down, they started taking our people back, and we ended up, after two months, with a £60 million cash reserve. Roll on 12 months, we've paid not just the two dividends we should have paid, we paid a, an additional dividend. So we paid three dividends, which is really uh, unique within the, the FTSE uh, companies in the UK. I think we're probably the only one or one of very few. We've kept everybody on the payroll and our bench is down to minimal to such a point we are recruiting like mad. Now, the reason we did it was because we've gone through various cycles in the past, Y2K, 2008 recessionary period. And we made mistakes then when we hit a bad time, we fired everybody, we let everybody, we not everyone, our excess, we uh, terminated their contracts, made them redundant. This time we held on air because we had that experience. Mm -hmm. So I think you can't beat experience when you're actually on the leadership journey. Courses okay. uh, and programs don't teach you that. You're listening to Lead to Soar, a production of A Career That Soars. A Career That Soars, or ACTS, is an organization, a networking platform, and a place for career women to learn and connect. Our founder, Susan Colantuno, envisioned a group that would embrace women from all backgrounds and support one another towards achieving their highest career ambitions. Learn more about what you can get from ACTS by visiting leadtosoar.com and clicking the ACTS link. a great illustration of something that that we talk about a lot which is from a leadership perspective so our our leadership definition is using the greatness in you to achieve and sustain extraordinary outcomes by engaging the greatness in others which you've just epitomized beautifully but part of that achieving and sustaining extraordinary outcomes or that that missing 33% is around acting so thinking like a ceo and acting like a passionate business owner you and rod were passionate business owners as am i and we pay attention to stuff don't we well you have to otherwise you're not going to have a business for very long if you don't pay attention to the you know the inflows and the outflows of cash to your customers to your people uh, and of course to your shareholders I'm really always very interested in helping our listeners and, and particularly helping women understand how, how very important it is to be for the business and, and act like a passionate business owner, even when you're working for someone else. When you're working for wages, it's such, a, such an important part of leadership. How, how would you, so that's, that's my version, but if you were coaching or mentoring a woman right now to say, this is what I did, how would you how would you encourage her to adopt that mindset? I mean, you have lots and lots of people that that work for FTN. How, how do we how do we translate that for people, Sheila? Yeah, no, I learned 
long time ago that the executive team isn't there to lead top down. They really need to appreciate that a productive workplace runs on a collegiality and a sense of shared responsibility. We don't want to be dragging people along. We want people to want to follow and come with us on the journey. Now, what we did many, many years ago, we've maintained this. We've been giving all staff members from the receptionist up who've served two years with the company free share options. When I say free, there's a a nominal price of one penny uh, a share. And every year, our staff have been received, since we've listed in 2014, our staff receive those share options. And we feel that businesses are much better served by owners than they are by managers. And it also makes hard decisions easy to disseminate and easy to publish, if you like. People take them if they understand that it's affecting their pocket as well. I think that uh, leadership, I always say it's like, um, it's like swimming. You can't learn to swim by reading a book. You learn to swim by getting out there into the open water and you can learn to swim in a pool and you can learn to swim in open water. And by doing uh, both, then you have a much wider, uh, wider technique, wider experience, and you can actually accomplish much more. Um, same with riding a bike and leadership's like that. You just got to get out there and do it and support your support support your journey, support your learning through reading, through watching, through listening, through mentorship and coaching. I wish I'd had uh, coaching and mentoring as a young woman. It would certainly have shortened my time to success. And perhaps I wouldn't have made quite as many mistakes as as I have done. So I would say to, (laughs) (laughs) I would say to that, um, you know, women, uh, anyone who wants to get up to C-suite, Try to shadow somebody, you know, speak to someone who is C-suite and try to shadow them perhaps, you know, for a day, a week to understand what it really is like to be um, to be part of that C-suite executive. And I think time is important as well. The, you know, leaders need to learn what it's like to, to lead in a boom and bust condition. I mean, at the moment, we are in very difficult, challenging times this will be a fantastic learning period for those who want to progress in their in their journeys with their organizations the more experience you that they can get then the better the the better leaders they'll they'll ultimately become you know i think that's probably the advice i I would give them yeah i think uh, you're right there's there's a lot of us who really relish the opportunity to learn by doing and I think there's a couple of things going on there. Number one is having, and and for you and, and Rod in, in FTM, in creating more and more business owners of your business and those people who are employees as well as shareholders, they have skin in the game. So there's a, they're, they're really, we would hope that quite invested. And then I think being able to create those opportunities for people to lead. And I agree, shadowing and, and strategic mentoring and being exposed, what we call pie. So being exposed to the performance of the business, you know, the image as a leader, what are images and what's the executive presence that, that terrific leaders exhibit uh, and also decision-making. So exposure to decision-making and decision-makers because you're right, business is 
well, I, I say VUCA, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. It's And that is not going to change. So how do we help people navigate through that? By exposing them to it, shadowing, get, getting them on board. I, I'm interested, Sheila, though, you know, you've, you're a COO of a FTSE listed company. There's a, you know, there's just a lot that goes with being listed, having, well, I used to work for Circo, which was FTSE listed as well. So there's a lot of compliance there's a lot of stuff you've got to know your stuff but people have to know that you know your stuff so for you that business strategic and financial acumen that you obviously have how did that I guess you did your MBA you're a lifelong learner clearly you're shadowing people you're learning it as you go but when did you become aware that you needed to demonstrate it as well and I guess, was there, was there any pivotal times or were there any pivotal times in your career where you thought, right, I need to amp it up here or really dial up my demonstration that I know my stuff? Yeah. You know, maybe just to your previous point, I think, you know, to get onto C-suite, you've got to really hone your emotional intelligence as well as your decision-making You've got to um, become a strategic thinker. You've got to have foresight, um, change management skills, more important today than ever before. And I, I would suggest that most people, they actually, they, they, they rise through the ranks within their organisation. You're not just sort of catapulted onto C-suite from nowhere. It takes many years of building up that knowledge base. But to answer your question, where did I build up my, my business acumen and my financial know-how? Well, you know what the starting point was, zero. In 2005, <laughs> we listed the company on AIM, the, the more junior stock market in the UK, for the first time. And we'd never done that before. We'd never been there. So we did very quickly learn uh, the, the rules of the stock market. We had to learn about governance. We had to prepare, we had to um, create all the, uh, all the paperwork for the, for the corporate transaction. And that was the first time we'd, we'd ever done that. So that was a great experience. And then we had to become a little bit more grown up and less of a lifestyle company once we, were, we became a public company. And we had to interface with shareholders, be it, you know, our, our value was quite small. The shareholding was quite tight still in those times so it wasn't big exposure but we had to learn all of that but then after five years we got fed up being on aim because this, the share price was stagnant we weren't um, we weren't progressing publicly as we we felt we should because every year we were making more profit but the management weren't being uh, we didn't feel the management were being respected by the investors so we decided to buy the business back we'd never done that either so we had to quickly learn on the hoof. Now, my job in the buyback was uh, negotiating the terms of the of our contracts and of the deal and also the legals. We had seven sets of lawyers on this deal and then there was me. <laughs> and I'm not a lawyer, but I can read. So again, I had to learn and I had to really hone my skills because, you know, we were talking about a serious transaction buying the company back into the hands of management, huge, huge learning opportunity. And then after four years, we listed again, and this time on the main FTSE market, 
by this time, we were a lot more corporate, a lot more grown up as an organization, but nonetheless, the requirements this time were even greater than they'd been in previous transactions. So yet more learning. So I learned from doing uh, during all of these transactions. And, you know, that that was gold. Um, and I dare say, if we do another transaction at some point in the future, it'll be the first time we've done that as well. We tend to, we yeah. like our transactions and <laughs> we tend not to go over <laughs> all ground. But um, I think that's where I built up my financial acumen because, you know, we're talking about our own money here and our own skin in the game and our own level of stake and that stake of our people. And staff at FDM were looking at us for guidance. They trusted us. They trusted us to do the deal on their behalf. And that's a lot of responsibility. Mm. Yeah, learning by doing it, there's a lot to be said for it. But I would also say that you've actively put yourself in the path of those opportunities to do that. And that requires a certain kind of, I keep saying mindset, but a certain kind of drive and, and ambition. So you are you are a driven woman. You are driven to put yourself in the path of opportunities to gain new skills all the time. Now, there could be people looking at you saying, why would she bother? Look at her. She's successful. She doesn't, but you still just, I'm learning to, I'm learning to fly a helicopter. Yes, there'll be another transaction and I'll be learning to do stuff then. This, what is it, what is it that drives you to do that? That's a really interesting question. And, you know, I, I think it comes deep within because I've always been the same. I remember as a 15 year old, I went hitchhiking. You'd never hitchhike these days, Michelle. It's far too dangerous. But when I was 15, I had my father drive myself, and my friend to the edge of the, the motorway or the dual carriageway as it was then. And um, he said, where are you going? I said, I don't know. Wherever, you know, somebody is going, whenever they stop, that's where we'll be going. He said, nobody's ever going to give you a lift in their car. Anyway, a car stopped. And I ran it, ran to it and I said to the driver, where are you going? He said, Liverpool. I said, that'll do. I'd never nice. been to Liverpool. That sounded exciting. And I jumped in his car. And when I got to Liverpool, we got bought to the Isle of Man. And after two days of um, hitchhiking around the Isle of Man, I was fed up. I said, let's go to London. And I I think that's my personality. Whenever I reach a destination and then, okay, I've ticked that box, now what's next? A failing is not to stop and enjoy it. And yeah. that is something that I'm trying to work on where really I should stop and just take note, look around, enjoy the moment before even thinking about the next step. And I have to say that my husband, Rod, is very similar but uh, whenever we get somewhere it's right where now and that's I think what's helped drive us on over the years so again I can't say it's because we we want to be more successful or because we want to be anything else we just like progression mm. you know you don't want to stand still in life I couldn't agree more. And I was having a bit of a chuckle because you have met my lovely wife, Rhonda, and uh, we are the same. We're very yes. much, righto, we're here now, we're now. Uh, on we go, forward momentum the whole time. And, you know, and, and I think like you, I, I very much enjoy, I, like, I enjoy the process of learning. I enjoy the, I, I enjoy learning new stuff. I, I get, I get very bored very easily. Um, and when I'm bored, I'm destructive. So I, I just know that about myself, that that drives me. But being open, 
in terms of turning that into advice for women who are listening, being open to putting yourself in the path of a new experience because every experience is going to teach you something and it adds to your your toolkit and and that you know yeah that toolkit that leadership toolkit as you go forward and particularly as you become more senior having to draw on the skills that are so important when you're running a company that those technical skills business strategic and financial acumen hey i want to explore your views around putting on your mantle of leadership every day because that's we talk about the mantle you know that the queen gets the crown and the staff and the mantle when when she, you know at her coronation or that the, the monarch but the queen and we talk about leadership is like that every day as a leader we're putting on our mantle of leadership or as i say your game face like you know for sport game face on i'm in the zone what's your mantle of leadership so what is what is it that you do to assume your leadership responsibility or, or project that leadership every day? You know, sometimes it can be quite frustrating being a leader of an organisation. And I think on top of that, if I, you know, I mentioned earlier that this month I'm 65 years of age and still going strong, working full time and full on. And a lot of our organisation, they're in their early 20s. So they, they look at me as someone that's quite distant from them. And as much as I try really hard to break down those barriers, it's quite a challenge. And I don't know that I'll ever succeed, to be quite frank. When you promote it to a leadership role, you really have to have a new and a vigilant awareness of everything you do and say. Because now you're heard as though you're speaking through a megaphone. Whatever you say, everybody's listening and you're in a bit of a fishbowl. My office actually is like a fishbowl. It's all glass and everything that I say and do is on display and it's magnified. You can't hide. And I think you have to be very, very careful and very clear with your visual, your verbal, your written communication. You must make sure it's aligned and it's consistent. I think when you become a leader, whether it be B-suite or C-suite, you have to rethink your work shape, your workplace relationships and your boundaries. Peer-to-boss leadership, peer-to-boss relationship rather, um, can be quite a delicate change. You know, one minute you're all off to the pub and um, having very open conversation. And then the next time uh, when you're promoted, you then have to stand back a bit because you have different roles and responsibilities. And you have to outline those boundaries to the people who were previously your peers. And that can be quite tricky. I think there's huge change that has to take place because you ultimately become, um, not physically, but metaphorically, the 800 pound gorilla in the room. Mm. And there's, you know, that is just what happens. Um, and no matter how easygoing people are uh, when they relate to you, when you get promoted, you are that gorilla. Mm. And people treat you differently. I find it quite difficult to get a straight or honest answer to some of the questions I ask. Because what I find, people, people tell me what they think I want to hear. And very seldom do they give me the downside or their worries or their challenges or the risks. I have to really prize it out of them. 
there's only probably a few people in the organisation that I can go to who I know will give me the real truth. And that's what I need. And they don't seem to realise often that I'm there to help them in times of crisis and challenge. And I can be much more value to them then uh, in those circumstances than just to say congratulations, well done, you're doing, you're doing a wonderful job. And I'm sure you find the same. Yeah, you're right. The 800-pound gorilla is is really, it's, it's a very apt um description and and that that self-awareness of our role and how it shifts and changes as as we become more senior in organizations uh, is really critical um, and particularly to your external stakeholders as well they're expecting a whole a whole bunch of stuff but I, I guess what the around the um, you know you you are a senior woman in a techno in the technology sector and that in and of itself is still unfortunately quite unusual. Um, you are also um, well. You're you're a pioneer in 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 saying, well, this should not be. You know, the stuff that went on when I was a WPC in, in Glasgow, that shouldn't be happening anymore. And I don't want women to have that experience. But as that senior woman in tech and as someone who is acutely aware of the, the very long leadership shadow that you cast, you've taken it upon yourself to do some stuff about closing the leadership or the, the gender gap in tech. And, and you, you have said often you've been quoted of, of saying you cannot be what you cannot see. So taking into account that I've got this role as a leader and I kind of, I really need to know what's going on, but I know people don't necessarily, they tell me what I want to hear versus I need to cast this very long positive shadow and make a difference in the industry. How can, how can, or what are you doing around that first? So let, let's talk about what you've done, which is, was groundbreaking at, at the time because you really were the first one to start moving in your sector, in your geography around women in tech. So how did you do that? Well, why? I think the why is probably obvious, but I won't assume. And, and then how did you do that? I think my actions were shaped by my experiences. Uh, my experiences of being one of the early police women in Glasgow and then being one of a few female leaders in the Middle East and understanding how difficult it was at times. I mean, great fun, but difficult at times. And when I came to FDM and we built the company, I had the opportunity to change and to make a difference because I was in the leadership position. And we were, you know, we created this recruit, train and deploy sector. And it's, it's very flattering that others have followed, but we were and are the leaders in that sector. Hopefully we'll continue to be. But I, I had the platform and so, Oh, I can't remember when, quite a few years ago, I set up the uh, Women in IT initiative to attract more women into the sector. There's 17% female representation in the technology sector. And I think that's more or less worldwide. At FDM, we have 33% female representation. So we are succeeding to, to a degree in that. And we're very proud of that. We also have a zero gender pay gap but none of this has come by accident. Mm. And, you know, we've worked very, very hard. We have recently, in fact, we've improved again our maternity benefits. We now offer six months full pay and maternity, uh, 
uh, to women who are going off to, to have their babies. And um, we are continually reviewing that. We now offer flexible working. We're always looking to see how we can make it easier for women to actually join FDM. And with remote working, it's, uh, it's helped a lot. The number of female applicants that we've received in the last year has shot, shot up. We have, uh, in fact, I started a returners program a few years ago, and that's going great guns now because, you know, women can, uh, it doesn't matter if there's a child in the room or a cat walking over the keyboard as people work remotely. And I know that you're not really working remotely in Australia, but uh, most other countries are. And it's become acceptable. It's acceptable if the Amazon man comes to the door and the door, doorbell rings. You know, women tend to still have the pressure of looking after the household as well as going to work and perhaps um, you know, running a business or, or doing a serious job. So we have a lot, a lot of pressures that perhaps, um, I'm speaking generally, of course, that men don't have. The expectation is still there on us to, to run the household and be the primary carers of our children and perhaps elderly parents. So we have taken that into account and, and certainly more so now. I'm also interested, it's funny that, that just this we're having this conversation because I have literally come from another conversation with a couple of young men who own a tech company here in Australia and they were interviewing me. And they said, you know, Michelle, we've got, we just can't get women to join our organisation. And I said, well, and they said, what should we do? And, and I talked about a whole bunch of stuff, but you're doing that. So 17% is the is the average and you're at, and, and FTM's at 33%. You've taken into account the needs of, of women. And, and I agree with you, rightly or wrongly, we know that the burden of caring, whether it's elder care, child care, uh, whatever it may be, uh, still falls to women around the world. In fact, if it was turned, oh, I've got a, there's this mad statistic that said if we actually paid women for the caring or the unpaid labour, it is something like $11 trillion. Um, it, it's an extraordinary amount. So if you were sitting in front of those two young men, Hyder, John and, and Alex, when they listen to this, and I hope they do, what would you tell them that they should be doing as, as tech as a tech company owners to get more women, particularly programmers, into their organisation? I would say to those two men, and I do hope they're listening, that first of all, they need to consider the culture of the organisation and make sure that it is a woman-friendly culture. They should look at their policies to make sure that they are, they're suitable, they are, again, women-friendly, that they have the flexibility and they have the maternity pay, and that uh, they support what women are trying to do. It's really, and I, re I remember again, you know, when my kids were really young and trying to get them to school and get to work and then pick them up and get them to the sports lessons and at the same time look after el elderly relatives, do the, the shopping, get back, do the housework, you know, and I wasn't anything special. This is what we women always have to do. And employers need to realise that we have this added responsibility and bur burden of responsibility. And, you know, I stuck with it and, you know, survived and thrived. And I, I, I'm just thinking here, there was a young woman that I recruited a number of years ago. 
she had just had twins uh, 12 months previous to, to this interview that I, I had with her. And she turned up, she wasn't very well dressed. Um, she had two young babies. She obviously needed the money and she wanted to come back to work. And I looked at her and I thought, you, you need a chance. So I gave her the job and uh, we went shopping and we, we got her some clothes from Topshop because all her money was going on her babies, not on her. And I made sure that she had her support network in place. And once she had that in place, then I brought her into the company and she's still with us today. She's probably one of the most loyal people we have and she's never had a day off sick. Occasionally she has to take the kids places, but uh, she is brilliant. And a lot of other employers perhaps wouldn't have given her the chance. Do you want to get shit done for your career? Well, I suggest that you join the Get Shit Done experience in a career that soars. The GSD experience is for women who want to take time out of their full lives to reconnect with themselves, their ambition. They want to kickstart their what's next career plan, plus connect and expand their network of driven and ambitious women. Put simply, the GSD experience is for women who are ambitious and driven. Women who want an accountability partner to give them a kick in the butt when needed. Women who want to supercharge their motivation and confidence. And women who want to either define or make their next big move. Join us over at A Career That Soars for the Get Shit Done experience. It is looking a little more broadly than, you know, taking things at face value. So looking, widening and deepening your view about people and the type of people that that are coming into the organisation. But I think for for John and Alex, that's great advice. Have a look at your own culture, your own workplace, your policies. Do women, will will they suit women? Will that be a workplace that suits women? And if they don't know, they they probably need to ask some women. Is this a place that you'd like to work? To a lot of women as well, the word tech is quite frightening because mm. if you go into any school and you ask, you know, the kids to, you know, to draw a typical tech worker, they probably draw a bloke with glasses yep. and spiky hair and freckles. They'd never, ever draw women that look like you or look like myself, Michelle. And I think, you know, another thing that we've done at FDM years ago was I changed the branding to be much more, to be, to be softer, a nice purple, lots of women uh, on, on the brochures I wanted to let women see that there's other people like them in the company yep well again you know to your to your quote you you can be what you can see um, and if they're seeing other women um, that that is a huge part of it as well I, and I could. mentorship yes Yes, and and strategic mentorship. So we want we want women to have mentorship that is really going to help them reach their full potential, but and also aligned with the organisational goals. So definitely strategic. Thinking back, because I, I could talk to you all afternoon, and, and as you know well from the last time I bent your ear, can you think back? What is the best career advice you've ever received? The best career advice be the very best version of yourself I think has probably stuck in my mind and cultivate my personal brand Mm -hmm. which I've worked 
hard to do. I think get recognized for the right reasons. That's really important. Develop your leadership qualities. Pick somebody that you admire and look at what they're doing and figure out why you admire them and adopt some of those um, traits, perhaps. I think probably if you can shadow somebody in the organization, then I think that'll, that'll help as well. But be the very best version of yourself and cultivate your own brand and be mm. true to yourself. Yeah, look, I, I absolutely, the, the, the brand piece is so important. But what I do also want to draw out of what you've just said, Sheila, is own, own your accomplishments. You, know, you are a very accomplished woman and be proud of that and be, be proud to talk about your accomplishments authentically because we know that, that and, and it is a gross generalisation, but we know that women have a tendency to not want to talk about themselves. We want women to be able to promote themselves with grace and authenticity. You do that so well. So you're a very accomplished woman. You're, you've got a raft of awards uh, and letters and you're a commander of the British Empire. So you, you're accomplished. You own those awards. You own those recognitions. You own those accomplishments. You, you have the ability, because of your work on your personal brand, you are able to authentically and gracefully self-promote. We know that women struggle with self-promotion. I really want women to learn from you now, how do you gracefully and authentically self-promote? When we talk about self-promotion, it, it doesn't fit well. It doesn't sit well because no one wants to be seen as a self-promoter. But, you know, I have won a lot of awards and I haven't put myself up for any of those awards. But by God, I've worked hard to get to where I am today. And I think the first award I won was in 2012. And I was absolutely gobsmacked. Didn't think, didn't think I was worthy of an award. But then they started um, rolling in, if you like. And, uh, you know, it's... Uh, it's, it's lovely to be recognised and I want to support other women to help them become recognised. And that's why we at FDM, I sponsor the Every Woman in Technology Awards, where I think this year we had 18 categories. It's really important to shine the spotlight on the achievements of other women. And I fully intend to continue that. FDM is not about me anymore. It's about the next generation. And so my role now is to support, mentor and coach the next generation to help them shorten their time to success. As I sort of, I won't say come to the end of my career, I'm not in my twilight years yet, but I've had my day and I need to use my experience now for the benefit of others. And if it's called self-promotion to do so, then so be it. But, you know, nowadays I have to say, Michelle, there's lots of opportunities that weren't available a few years ago. If the women who are listening or the men want to get to C-suite, there's roles now that didn't exist before. There's chief listening officers and chief culture officers, chief diversity officers, chief experience officers. What are all of those? Yes. But those are positions that large corporates are now hiring for. There's a lot more people in C-suite than ever before. So the opportunities are endless. That is a, a wonderful way to finish our discussion, Sheila. And look, you are a, a woman who is 
very good to see and very good to to want to aspire to be like. So the fact that you're taking the time and and investing your social capital uh, in other women and bringing them forward is is just terrific to see. And I do really appreciate the fact that you've spent some time with me today. You know, you're you're a woman who is who is awarded and recognised. You're accomplished. You've you've had a non-linear career in your own words. You, you know, from WPC to to the C-suite are on a FTSE listed company. But what I really hope that our listeners have heard, just like I have, is that you know you don't have to have one pathway to the top. And I use that term carefully. You do have to be a, a lifelong learner. You do have to put yourself in the way of new experiences, which will be learning opportunities. And you do have to own your accomplishments. But most important to me and the nearest and dearest to my heart is the fact that that you are casting out the net for women and other underrepresented and marginalised people to bring them forward into a, a sector, the tech sector, which so badly needs more diversity. So you can be what you can see. And we see you, Sheila, and you're just terrific. So thank you so much for being on Lead to Saw today. I'm, I'm just thrilled to have been able to have a chat with you again. And thank you for the opportunity, Michelle. And I look forward to when you're both in London very soon, hopefully, and we can have Fingers that opportunity. That'd be fantastic. We can indeed. We can indeed. Thank you so much, Sheila. Thank you for downloading Lead to Soar. We so appreciate your support in the form of subscribing, rating, and reviewing the Lead to Soar podcast. We especially appreciate when you share Lead to Soar with friends and colleagues. Lead to Soar is hosted and produced by Michelle Redfern and Mel Butcher. To get in touch with either, visit michelleredfern.com and melbutcher.com. Lead to Soar is a production of A Career That Soars. Learn more at leadtosoar.com. Until next time, stay focused and lead on. Michelle, can I ask you a question? Is this a video or an audio recording? Audio only. Oh, I put my lipstick on just in case. Oh, well, you, we'll, we'll, we'll take a screenshot and we'll use it. <laughs> <laughs>